today on Ag News Day. That report's going to show much bigger uh, beginning stocks for corn, and USDA's probably going to have to address the ethanol issue and our feed use issue. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, joined by co-host Delaney Howell. And Delaney, how you doing on this sunny, warm Monday afternoon? I know. It's felt great all weekend for the most part, except yesterday we got a little bit of hail. Mike, did you get some there in Grinnell? Ooh, no. Thank goodness we dodged the hail, but we did get, uh, you know, some rain showers and, Mm -hmm. you know, weird, dense fog last night. But, you know, it certainly didn't help the gravel roads at all. Right. Yeah. Didn't help the gravel roads. Didn't help the fields. No, no. We continue to see the uh, earliest planting date to get pushed back a little bit further. Right. But, you know, at this stage of the game, it's hard to cuss out rain. You know, it's... I think the bigger issue is just we don't have anywhere for the rain to go because the ground is already saturated. So, Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, You know, we've seen the devastation that the flooding can cause as we look out at Nebraska. I continue Mm -hmm. to see, and Delaney, I'm sure you see it too, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do as well, the convoys of trucks headed from across farm country to Nebraska to western Iowa carrying hay Mm -hmm. and fencing supplies and everything. And every time I see that, I... It's a very bittersweet feeling because it sucks that you've got to do that because, you know, so many farmers and ranchers have been devastated. But it's also a sweet feeling in the sense that, you know, this is the community coming together. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, boy. Well, we've actually got a flood update here today. Oh, good. Um, coming from Reuters. They are – they wrote a whole article, a very, very long article. I'd encourage any of our listeners to read it if they are interested in the ethanol industry, Um, basically looking in depth at what the flooding has done Mm. for ethanol and what it has done to boost gas prices in the Western U.S., Hmm. which was surprising to me. But uh, apparently, because we're short on ethanol, and in particular, we're short on the I think it's the second generation ethanol, the one that's even cleaner, that gets blended into gasoline in California. We don't have enough of it. So there are shortages in Southern California, and they are now pushing gas prices to over four bucks a gallon down there. No, thank you. Yeah, that was my thought. Boy, that Lincoln wouldn't get very far at four bucks a gallon. No, that uh, wouldn't do you so good, huh? Uh Uh-uh. Yeah, so I'd encourage our listeners to check that out. The article is called Midwest Floods Hammer U.S. Ethanol Industry Push Some Gasoline Prices Toward Five-Year High, and I will share it on our Twitter feed. So just hop on to at Ag News Daily on Twitter, and you can read it, get some in-depth information. All right. Thank you for that update there. I've got an update for folks living in about 13 states in the United States. The USDA is investing in rural electric infrastructure and smart grid improvements to help with, well, all sorts of things, I think, including Internet and whatnot. They're dumping in, let me see if I got the number, uh, $485 million to upgrade the rural electric systems and reduce energy costs. Those states include... Georgia, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, New Mexico, North Carolina, North Dakota, South Dakota, Texas, and Wisconsin. And these improvements will help build or improve about 2,635 miles of electric line in those 13 states, Um, I guess largely to help with electricity and whatnot. 
improving the the rural electric grid. Now, did you did you mention Nebraska? Was that one of the states listed? Um, no, Nebraska is not one of the states listed. Interesting. Given all the damage they've sustained to mm-hmm. uh, to, to electoral lines, I'm surprised they didn't uh, you know get their name on that uh, on that list. Yeah, I'm not sure if maybe Nebraska is just its whole own separate issue and that's just going to have to be, you know, kind of its own thing or what? No. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I don't shoot. I have no idea the way Mm -hmm. the works. It's always, always a surprise to me that anything gets done at all. Yeah, absolutely. Let alone. Yeah. Thank God for people that are willing to get in there and know the details and deal with all that garbage. Well, it's interesting too, um, when you talk about bureaucracy, because we're seeing a little bit of discrepancy here in the Trump administration bureaucracy. President Trump is continuing to, threatened that he's going to impose tariffs on Mexican, Mexico's auto industry and crack back here or crack down uh, because of illegal immigration and the flow of Central American immigrants into the U.S. from Mexico. But a little bit of, I guess, I think this is interesting that President Trump is threatening this because he's also pushing at the same time Congress to ratify the USMCA agreement. We're going to have a great conversation later this week with a gentleman from past USMCA to highlight some of those um, issues going on there. But with President Trump pushing to pass USMCA in Congress and also threatening to put on these Mexican tariffs, essentially USMCA makes sure that he can't put tariffs in place against Mexico. That's one of the pieces in the USMCA agreement that says it has to have free trade or will be exempt under the USMCA agreement. But President Trump said that this will supersede the USMCA agreement. However, another guy here, we've got a senior research fellow at the International Food and Policy Research Institute and a former chief agricultural negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative Office said, and his name is Joe Glauber, said that that doesn't make any sense to him. And a deal, and the terms of the deal, say automobiles are off the table. So he said he doesn't know what the president is talking about. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I had a really hard time following that story, just with the twists and the turns, and this is allowed, but it's not allowed. What a mess. Right. So essentially, President Trump says he's going to put another round of tariffs on the auto industry in Mexico, but the USMCA agreement technically waives any more tariffs on Mexican auto. So he's also trying to push MCA, USMCA agreement. He says it's, I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like a mess. Yeah. Yeah, well, folks, I got nothing to add. I really don't. I, what a, hmm, weird. I, yeah. But I do have some good news for us, Delaney. Okay, what's that? So European Union leaders, of course, you know, we have been back and forth with the EU when it Mm -hmm. comes to trade uh, since President Trump took office. And it hasn't always been a friendly relationship between the U.S. and the EU. But we do have um, a a note out today that the EU and the United States are now working hand in hand at the World Trade Organization on China's, quote, non-market economic policies, basically their slow rolling of genetic crops, they're basically non-tariff barriers to doing business in China. Mm -hmm. So we've got good news that the U.S. and the EU are coming together, they're working as a big unit to try and put some pressure on Mm -hmm. China to straighten up its its actions and fly a little bit. 
right, more right. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good news, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think so. It's one of those things where if we can build some good bridges with the EU, given the demand we've seen lost in China, as long as they can keep stepping up, continue their their historic purchases of American soybeans, hey, those are beans that aren't sitting in a bin here. You know, that's Mm -hmm. a win. Absolutely. Get rid of some of that carryout number. Right. Exactly. And speaking of carryout number, we're, uh, today is Market Monday, of course. We're having Brian Hoops on here in just a little while. And we've got the WASD report coming out tomorrow, so we'll get his estimates for that. In other government-related news, we've got a deadline here of May 10th for farmers to apply for funding under the Conservation Stewardship Program, which is, of course, the largest working lands conservation program in the country. Um, as part of the maybe some of the newer pieces that were passed under the 2018 Farm Bill and and things maybe folks should be aware of is this bill has replaced the previous 10 million acre cap and instead they put in place a yearly spending limit which is 700 million for fiscal year 2019. Pretty similar for the most part in all other aspects but new contracts will be eligible for increased payment rates for practices such as cover crops and crop rotations that can prevent runoff of nutrients from cropland. So that's kind of exciting, too. Yeah, it, it sounds like we're just adding more flexibility to the yeah. program. Yep, absolutely. Well, good. Yeah, that is, that is good news. Um, we've also got another deadline. Well, not a deadline. An announcement coming up, I suppose, is a better way to put it. The 2017 Census of Agriculture data is getting released on Thursday. Oh, yes, that's right. 2017 data. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, so, you know, it's it's two years old, but this is the five-year update of the Census of Agriculture. They've got some new data points in here. You know, they're, they're looking at uh, military service in rural mm-hmm. America. They're looking at food marketing practices, on-farm decision-making. Uh, you know, basically, they tried to get a more complete picture of what life is like in rural America. So I'm hoping... All of our listeners complied with their legal <laughs> obligation and returned their census forms way back in, in uh, 2017. No, I think 2016 is when, or yeah, and then 2017 is when you had to, uh, I'm not sure actually. Yeah, I, I remember getting mine and I, mm. it took me forever to turn mine in. You, re- It's legal? You have to turn it back in? Yeah, I believe so. Huh, interesting. Don't take that to the bank. But yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Hmm, Okay. Didn't know that. So we will, I'm sure, have some uh, some of these data points coming out. NAS is going to be running a live Twitter uh, hmm. Ask the Census Expert chat on Friday, April 12th at 1. So you can go to at USDA underscore NAS um, at noon central time, 1 o'clock Eastern, on Friday the 12th. And you can ask their statisticians anything you want about the ag census, which I'm going to follow along. Yeah, I was going to say I that sounds kind of interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Huh. Okay. I like it. Yeah. Well, that was uh, that was all the news I had for today, Delaney. I just got one other tiny little piece. Okay. Uh, new orders for factories in the U.S. fell a little bit in February, and uh, shipments rose after four monthly declines. Basically, it looks as though the manufacturing sector is continuing to slow, but it's slowing more slowly which is good news for the economy. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I think I think core durable goods also have been raising as a whole, so maybe that shows that the economy is not 
quite as slow as as uh, what we think. Right. Yeah. I mean, clearly it's not a catastrophe. Right. Um, you know, things are still plugging along, but the good news is it is slow enough that the Fed is going to continue mm-hmm. its policy of no more rate hikes. Right. So it's you know kind kind of a win win. Yeah. Well, one thing that might not be a win win for agriculture is the debate over glyphosate. We are going to see a toxicological profile of glyphosate come out from the EPA, I believe, later today and is uh, going to be released by the Centers for Disease Control, the agency for the Toxic toxic Substances and Disease Registry, or the CDC, will publish it in the Federal Register today, and the tox profile will be available for public comment. The reason I bring this up, and I, I think the reason it's going to be important, is because we've seen all of these lawsuits come out with Monsanto and glyphosate, and is it cancerous? Is it non-cancerous? Um, technically, the EPA has ruled that it's non-cancerous, but we're continuing to see Monsanto get lawsuits filed against them um, uh, that it does cause cancer. So it will be required reading for those in the crop protection industry, the toxicological report that's coming out later today, who are seeking um, basically to make arguments that glyphosate is safe. So we will continue to see how that kind of shakes down the chain today. Fantastic. Well, keep our ears and eyes open. And uh, yeah, those lawsuits are going to press forward mm-hmm. regardless. Right. But at least maybe there can be some decent science out there yeah. for, for people who decide to dig a little bit. Hopefully. Hopefully it supports the usage of glyphosate and not the opposite. Right, right. And I think it will. There have been no scientific bodies that have found mm-hmm. anything wrong with glyphosate, you know, around the world. So I got to imagine it's going to be favorable. Hopefully. But yep. yeah, you never know. Right. It's uh, it's not done till it's done. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Before we get into the markets, do you want me to share my fun piece of news for today? Well, yeah. Why didn't you start off with the fun oh. news, Delaney? I don't know. I like okay. to just well, shake it up. Let's put it roll in into the markets with some fun news. Okay. Good call. All right. So... Mike, I know that you and I probably eat more fast food than we care to share sometimes because we're on the road, we're traveling, it's easy, etc. Have you noticed a difference on the menus when it comes to bacon? No, I don't think I have. Okay, well, new studies show that bacon is found in 68.1% of all fast food menus in 2018, which is a huge increase Um, And we've seen the number of restaurant menus across the U.S. that feature bacon grow by 5% in the last 10 years. And by 2022, the number is expected to jump up to 70% of menus across the U.S. will feature bacon foods like cheeseburgers or cheese bacon burger or whatever. That's awesome. Really, the only places that are going to be left out are like vegan and vegetarian restaurants. Right. Yeah. Even even like Taco Bell, I think, has started to incorporate foods like bacon. But I guess the I guess the the fun piece of this is bacon used to only really be incorporated into breakfast menus on fast food, and now it's being seen more in, I guess, lunch or dinner time foods. Absolutely, absolutely, bacon is delicious all the time. Oh, another place it won't be seen probably is kosher delis. Mm. Probably won't see a whole yeah, lot of bacon. Don't know what that is, but okay. Okay. Kosher um, is oh kosher delis would be like Jewish delis. Yep. Yep. Okay. They keep kosher, so you know no pork. Right. Um. 
Well, that is good news, Delaney. It's good news for the hog market. We uh, continue to see that market be a little volatile. But what do you say? Should we jump in and check out the rest of the prices on everything? Let's do it. All right, folks. Our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, difficult times can give some good opportunities if you're working with a team to help manage your marketing risk. So give our friends at Zaner a call. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. We've got uh, some red on the screen here in the grain markets today. The May corn contract down two and a half cents at 360 even. December new crop down a penny at 389 even. In May soybeans, they were unchanged on the day at 899 even with the November contract down half a penny to close at 932 and a quarter. In Chicago wheat, the May was off four and a quarter cents at 463 and a half with the July contract down two and three quarters to close at 467 even. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got mixed trade in cattle futures. April live cattle contract down 25 cents at 125.80. The June up 22.50 to finish at 120.57 and a half. In feeder cattle, a little bit of strength today with the April contract up 57 and a half cents at 146.72.50. And the May up 35 at 150.57.50. And weakness in the hog market today, bit of a pullback after last week's rally. The April contract down 42 and a half cents at 78. 60 with the May down a dollar 55 to finish at 89.45. And of course, we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry. Did hear from a listener on Twitter that whole milk is just shy of 4% fat. So it's 96% fat free, which is good news for everybody. In dairy, class three milk, the April contract was up a penny at 15.86 and the May was down four to finish at 15. 72. Well, without further ado, Delaney, let's jump into our conversation with Mr. Brian Hoops. Well, for today's Market Monday edition, we've got Brian Hoops of Midwest Market Solutions. Brian, thanks for taking the time to chat markets with us today. Yeah, I, I like talking about markets. Good talking with you guys and hope uh, you're looking forward to a good week. It's going to be interesting weather-wise yes. with some warm temperatures right now, but a big snowstorm coming in by the middle of the week. Yeah, I know. Let's talk about weather for a second, Brian. We've got, of course, the flooding stuff still going on in Nebraska. That's been on everybody's mind. We've got you know, wet weather followed by dry weather followed by maybe potential snow. Are these weather factors being – is the weather premium added into the markets yet? Or are we still seeing that come to fruition? I think it's a little too early to put a lot of weather premium into the corn market right now. You know, we've got some real devastation in parts of Nebraska, the Dakotas and Iowa, but it's just so early to get a handle on how many acres are going to be out of production and how many acres could be shifted from corn to another product. And it's just quite frankly too soon to worry about farmers being late into the fields yet, even though the forecast suggests it's going to be very late in April before anybody is really able to do much of anything. But, um, you know, the last couple of years, the, we've really seen where we've had some delayed springs, but the market has come to a custom that even if we are a little bit late, a few days or a week late, the hybrids and the genetics in, in the corn have improved so much that the yields potential does not decrease significantly. In addition, the American farmers got some big equipment. They can make some tremendous strides in a very short period of time. And so the market is uh, kind of getting to a position where we don't like to add a lot of weather premium in unless we absolutely feel that we have to. 
Um, and, and we're just too early on April 7th, 8th, 9th to worry about putting in a big premium into this uh, weather market. Brian, you mentioned um, acres maybe being abandoned or prevent plant acres is obviously top of mind to a lot of folks. Worst case scenario, how many acres do you see folks taking prevent plant on or maybe not planting because of not being able to get into the fields? I know, again, it's a little early, but we still see so much of Nebraska underwater. Yeah, I think there's going to be a, a large section of Nebraska, South Dakota, parts of Minnesota that are just going to take preventive planting. There's just going to be uh, very little way to get that field back into condition to plant and grow a crop. So, you know, not only do we have flooding, but these rivers that came out of their banks, they brought silt and, and debris, uh, trees. Sometimes, uh, you know, it took out farms and that maybe means equipment or something else got washed away. And when that water recedes, that that equipment or, or whatever it is, that debris is left on that field. And so we've got to clean all that out. It's just going to take a tremendous amount of effort and time to get these croplands back into production. So it could be this entire year. I see a year where we, we jump prevented planting acres dramatically in those areas. Nationwide, it, you know, you may not see a, a huge effect, but in the area of Nebraska and Iowa and the Dakotas, maybe parts even Missouri, we're going to see a substantial amount, probably double what we would see. Normally, you know, we'd be in that one to three million acres of preventing plant. I, I, I certainly look for five to six million acres uh, this year. I think that's a reasonable expectation, but we don't find that out until we get into June. And so we've got a long time between now and then for that market to kind of debate how many acres are going to be withheld and put into the prevent plant. Brian, we're thinking about acreage, and let's talk corn acreage right off the bat. Of course, we had the USDA come out with their 92 and change figure, uh, million acres. What, where's your head at? D does that seem realistic to you? I really think that's the largest corn acres that we are going to see for the entire year. Based on those conditions we talked about in, in those areas, um, they're not going to be planting as much corn. There's going to be some acres that's going to be shifted over. And, you know, if you lose three and a half million acres, that puts you down to about 89 million. And even if you have a normal yield at 89 million acres, you're still left with some big ending stocks numbers, close to 1.88 billion bushels. So there's you know, even if we take some of these acres out of production, that uh, finding those extra stocks in the quarterly stocks report, that 237 million bushels extra, that's that's a like 2 million acres. So it's, you know, we, we found mm. extra acres sitting on hand. Even if we lose some of this out of production, it just kind of balances out. It doesn't really give us that spark for a bull market that everybody wants to see. Yeah, absolutely. And we've also got another report coming out tomorrow with the WASD. Brian, what are your expectations for that report for corn, soybeans, and wheat? Well, okay, so for the corn market, we talked about have, finding some extra bushels in the quarterly stocks number. That's going to be pushed into our balance sheet in Tuesday's report. That report's going to show much bigger uh, beginning stocks for corn. And USDA is probably going to have to address the ethanol issue and our feed use issue right now. They're probably a little bit over um, confident that we're going to have stronger numbers for demand than what we are running currently at this pace. I also think exports could come down a little bit in future reports, maybe not in Tuesday's report, but going into May and, and June, our export profile could slow down even further as an Argentine corn crop comes available. So now you're, instead of looking at maybe a, a one time we were talking 1.63 or 1.65 billion bushels of old crop ending stocks, now when you factor in these additional 
quarterly stocks maybe a slowdown because of ethanol margins have have uh, weakened. Now you're talking 1.99 to over 2 billion bushels of, of any stocks for corn for old crop, and that doesn't make a bull market. I know there's a lot of producers out there who are sitting on some old crop inventory hoping that we get some sort of a rally. Um, and it's going to be tough to find that spark, that catalyst. We're obviously going to have to have some major weather help to get us a push back to the upside uh, in, a, in a meaningful way rather than just you know 10 or 15 cent rallies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're exactly right about that, Brian. Now, that's on the corn side. When you look at the soybean side, we've still got the Chinese trade delegation uh, continuing their discussions. Uh, what's your take when you look at the soybean market here through the next, let's say, three months? Are we going to get yeah. some imports get booked in here? Or, I mean, have we just lost this market now with South America coming on? Well, you know, it's a great question. I, you know, I thought if we were going to reach an agreement, it would have been in our fall time frame because that's when China is mostly dependent upon the United States. That's when they have to buy as many soybeans from us as possible. That's usually when they get harvest lows and they try and time that out. Um, now, as we get into March and April, May, they can go to South America. And it sounds like the Argentine soybean crop is going to be bigger than expected, that the USDA is not um, accurately forecasting the size of that crop. It could be much larger than what the USDA is saying. And if that's the case, China can easily buy um, what they need from South America. One thing that I don't think anyone counted on was the African swine fever being as prevalent in China as it is. They've had to eradicate a lot of their uh, pork inventory and their their breeding herds. That means they have less demand for soybeans, soybean meal, because they have less animals to feed. Um, in a way, they've, they haven't had to buy as much soybean product from us or from South America as what they normally would. And so they've been able to kind of just get by hand to mouth without an agreement from the United States. It does sound like we may get something done, but it may not be for another 30 days. And if that's the case, China's likely just to um, keep pushing us off, maybe buy some token purchases around the time of the while they're negotiating. But uh, the last purchases they made were for delivery in the last half of the summer when they may not have as easily available South American supplies to them. So it, it's a situation that we're not building our ending stocks. And, and this China is a real wild card. We could, you know, we could be looking at 800 million bushels of stocks of soybeans. Or we could be over a billion uh, if we don't see any more demand. So either way, it's still burdensome supplies. You know, a year ago, we were talking about 435 million bushels of soybean stocks being uh, the largest on record. This is almost double what we've what we had a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, since you brought up African swine fever, I want to take it there now for just a little while, because we've been having such an a, a interesting time in the in the lean hog market. How much higher can we go, Brian? And I guess not only that, but do you see us exporting a lot more pork, like a substantial amount more if we do see this U.S.-Chinese trade deal come through? You know, I like to think that we'll be able to. Um, you know, you look at these hog futures and you go out to July and August, they're over $100 and October's over 90 and, you know, December's a, a very high price as well. I, I'm, I think producers really have to look at from the standpoint, they can make probably $100 a head marketing at these price levels. You're, you're crazy if you don't do something to ensure that you get that. You know, spend a few dollars to uh, ensure this price level with, with option strategies, 
that way you, you're guaranteed the price floor. And if it goes higher, we export a lot of pork. By all means, you've got higher price levels. But these are some opportunities that don't come around very often. You know, back um, through the, the fall months and into the winter, we had built a pretty good premium in some of those um, at the time, February, April, the May contract, all had built in a large premium, hoping we would get some business to China. And when it didn't happen, we saw a break in the futures. April dropped from about 72 down to 52 before rebounding. So a $20 drop. If we come into a situation where China does not reach an agreement with us, we don't buy, uh, they don't buy U.S. pork from us. Can we take July hogs from you know 100 or 102 dollars back to 82. I think we could very quickly. So I, I really tried to be encouraging to the producers that are out there that at a worst case scenario buy a put option, lock in some worst case scenario, and then just let this thing play out. And if we are able to sell a lot more pork, you're able to. But boy, these are some some opportunities that don't come around very often for the pork producers. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned there. $100, maybe slide real quick back down to high 80s, low 80s. Brian, do you think we'll hit that wall where China's not buying pork and we just, as quickly as we saw these hog markets rally, we're going to see them decline as well? I think that there's a possibility that we, we could. Yeah, we pumped a lot of uh, premium into this market in a very short period of time, you know, and, and if we don't reach the agreements that the market is hoping for, we're going to take that right back out just like we did um, through the you know through the January and into early February time frame. Brian, I got to take you over to the other meat, the cattle market yeah. here. We've if we do see China step in and buy considerable amounts of pork, if if that actually comes to fruition, is that going to be substantially beneficial for the cattle market, or are they just going to kind of trade independently of one another? You know, the cattle market has, has built in some of the export market already. I think really it's going to be down to what are the details? What is uh, China going to buy from us? How many pounds? What is their intentions as far as not only pork, beef, but also the grains? Uh, we want to see an, a trade agreement, but what is all we've seen so far is, you know, it's going to be great. And it's going to be wonderful for the American farmer. Hopefully it is, and hopefully we can... Uh, expand our export markets because you know we have a lot of proteins we talk about beef and chicken and pork we have record amount of proteins on feed this year and we have to have some sort of a home form i, I think you know now that the pork market has rallied substantially as it is a lot of consumer attention may turn away from pork and, and back to beef and that should be beneficial for the for the consumer um you know if you can buy a a, a pork chop or as about as much price as what you can pay for a steak. I think a lot of consumers are going to go with the steak route and that should be good for demand for our USB products. Absolutely. Brian, looking ahead over the next month, we're getting into grilling season. Temperatures are finally warming up absent perhaps stray blizzards that are going to uh, cross our path here in this next week. Um, how far do you think this cattle market can run? Looking at those, you know, the June at 120, the August at 117, do we have $5 of upside maybe just on seasonal factors? I think we do from from the price levels that we're at. You know, as, as we got into the 124 to 125 range, we saw just such a huge spike in open interest. That was pretty strong indication of the funds coming in and aggressively buying that uh, that hog or that cattle market, driving prices higher. We since had a pullback of five to six dollars now, and I think there is a, a, a strong potential for us to to find a base of support in here. And then with grilling season, as you mentioned, right around the corner, maybe some exports to, 
to China. Um, I think we can see this cattle market drift back up towards those those spring highs and make a new summer high back up to the one you know the 125. I don't look for June or August to reach where April went to the over $130. I think that's probably going to be a little bit too much considering the amount of uh, supply that we're going to have available this summer. All right. Well, Brian, always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for breaking down the markets for us today. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Well, Delaney, there we go. That's the Market Monday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. You know, I do always enjoy talking to Brian and getting his thoughts on where things could be headed. I do, too. He's just got a, you know, a little different perspective, maybe. Yeah. And, you know, we try to bring different perspectives every day when it comes to the world of agriculture. And Delaney, if listeners want to get caught up on perhaps some perspectives that they've missed, where should they go to do that? Absolutely. They can head to our website, globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily. You can listen to our podcast, all of our old episodes there. You can also listen to all of the other great podcasts that are part of the Global Ag Network. You can also interact with us on social media, Facebook and Twitter at Ag News Daily. We always like to hear your thoughts, concerns, comments, what we should be covering or maybe not covering here on the podcast. Yes, indeed, folks. Check that out. Remember, you can always interact with us on Facebook and on Twitter. Be sure to search for search for us there. Just look for Ag News Daily. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 